This week on Crossing the Lane Lines, as the swim community slowly begins to grapple with its legacy of racism, too often those who are asked to speak about its impact on black and brown communities are usually adults. Most are sincere in trying to make access for Learn to Swim and competitive swimming more equitable and inclusive for young male, female, and non-binary youth. However, no one ever seems to ask these young people how they might envision their own future. On this episode, we'll speak to twin sisters, Brianna and Rachel Holmes, multi-gold medal winning junior Olympic artistic swimmers, about where they see swimming now and how they plan on making it more welcoming for all. All that's coming up. Three, two, one. All this and more coming up. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. For the past three years, I have been turning out podcasts giving voice to the Black diasporic aquatics community. I've spoken to coaches, swimmers, scuba divers, high divers, water polo players, parents, researchers, historians, authors, and activists. Everyone has lent their voices to point out how far we've come and just how far we have to go. Although I've prided myself on giving these amazing people an opportunity to tell their stories, there is one group I have failed to give voice to, the youth. After all, if we're talking about the future, who are the ones that are going to inherit it? And how do they feel about what we're leaving them? Brianna and Rachel Holmes are twin sisters who are a part of the Santa Clara Aquamaids Artistic Swim Team, one of the country's most elite artistic swim clubs in the country. At the Junior Olympic Championships held last year in Colorado Springs, Colorado, these two young women won gold in every event they entered. They are both active in trying to make artistic swimming more diverse and were featured in the pool exhibit that is being held at the Fairmount Waterworks in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Brianna and Rachel Holmes, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. It's my pleasure. Brianna, let's start with you. I'm wondering if you could give us a little background story on when you first learned to swim and how you progressed into an artistic swimmer. And then Rachel, I'd like you to follow up with your own story. Yeah, of course. So we actually took swim lessons um, starting when we were three years old. Um, and from there we progressed into swimming recreationally on our local swim team. Um, and then at that same time, we were also doing dance and gymnastics. So like ballet, hip hop and jazz. Um, and our mom actually found a synchro camp and she had watched synchro on the TV when she was little on the Olympics. And she was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, so she signed us up for that. And We've been competing synchro ever since. So that was 11 years ago. Yeah, uh, my story is pretty much the same as Brianna. We started swimming when we were very young. My mom thought it was very important that we knew how to swim. Um, and we got into speed swimming, progressed into artistic swimming. And like she said, this is our 11th year. We did two years with the recreational program at the Aquamades before we transitioned over to the competitive program. So let me get this straight. You were in kind of like a build-up program before you actually entered the Aquamades. What was that like for you? Was that where you learn the basics for artistic swimming or how does it work? Because I'm totally new to this. I'm, I love swimming, but you know, you don't want to get me into aqua swimming or artistic swimming. That would be an absolute train wreck. 
Um, yeah, so it was actually still with the Aquamades. It was just the recreational program of that. So what that meant is we were still going to competitions. They were just much more um, low scale and we were sort of learning the basics. We still had routines, but they were much simpler and practices were a lot less versus when we transitioned to the competition team, we would be going to national competitions and even international competitions and practicing um, six days a week, um, 20 to 30 hours a week. So it was a lot more rigorous. Yeah. And the recreate, when we were on the recreational program, we were still doing speed swimming, dancing, musical theater as well. Um, but when we joined the competitive program, it was much more of a commitment. So after that, we sort of dedicated our lives to synchro. That's fantastic. You know, you mentioned uh, the competition aspect of it. And as I mentioned in my introduction, you know, I, I spoke about that. Um, before I go further, let me congratulate both of you for all of the hardware you won at the Junior Olympics last year. Um, can you describe what it was like to go to that competition and compete against the best of the best? And secondly, can you describe how it is when you go to any competition as two young Black women competing in a sport where you often are the only two or basically few of the virtue virtually any people of color within this competition. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, the pressure is always super high when we go to a competition like that. And it's always very exhilarating, but at the end, it's very rewarding. Um, at this level in our synchro career, we always look back and see how far we've come. And it's a pretty incredible feeling. Um, as two young Black women entering competitions where often, like you said, we're the only ones like us on the pool deck, you were definitely aware that there are eyes on us and definitely aware of what we do because we are representing um, African-American swimmers when we go out onto the deck. Um, so we definitely are very aware of everything we do that we're being observed and um, that we make a good image. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to add, like she said, um, competitions are always pretty nerve wracking, but this one was especially nerve wracking. Um, since it was in Colorado Springs, the altitude there made it very difficult to breathe. So a lot of swimmers were having trouble after their swims, there would be uh, lifeguards ready on the deck just in case anyone passed out. Um, but I was lucky, we were both lucky to have a really amazing support system. So our parents were there, our teammates were there to cheer us on, and even our competitors were there cheering us on. And that's the other thing about synchro, the sportsmanship is incredible. Everyone cheers each other on. And since we've all been competing against each other for so long, we all pretty much know each other. And rather than a, a brutal fight, like everyone always thinks that competitions are like, it's more of a chance for everyone to show off how hard they've worked over the year. You know, it's interesting that you bring up um, that supportive community that you're in. Um, you two have had a tremendous amount of success in this sport and you've benefited from great coaching, teammates and supportive parents as I've met your wonderful parents back in Philadelphia last year. You've been able to shut out the naysayers that would assume that you don't belong in this space. However, too often our folks don't get that sort of support. What do you feel is a good first step in trying to make artistic swimming a more welcoming sport for black and brown young women and men? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, recently I was actually uh, elected to be a diversity, equity, and inclusion ambassador for USA Artistic Swimming. So that's exactly what I'm pushing for right now. And one of the first things I'm trying to do is set up a mandatory diversity, diversity training for coaches and judges, as well as webinars for athletes so that no swimmer has to deal with microaggressions, whether they're intentional or not, and that everyone can learn to be a little more tolerant to people that are different from them. And then also more swim lessons available for black and brown kids would be an excellent step towards opening the doors for them to get into swimming. Yeah, there's a lot of simple ways that clubs can make artistic swimming more welcoming for black and brown swimmers. Um, some examples of this are to make sure that our um, the skin color materials that are used to make the suits include a wide range of skin tones so that every swimmer feels comfortable in their suit. Um, and then also educating team moms, coaches, on how to um, deal with um, different hair textures so that if they have to help a little girl, a little boy um, put their hair up at a competition that, that that swimmer feels comfortable and they feel like they're welcomed in the sport, not like an outsider. Yeah, thank you so much. That actually helps me segue into another question that I had for you. As you both know, at the Tokyo Olympics, the world governing body of swimming, FINA, banned the use of the sole cap that is meant for those with hair that would not fit someone's head who has dreads, afros, weaves, and the like. Fina stated that the caps in current use were fine for everyone and that there was no need for special caps, which I find hilarious. It appears that Fina was saying that if you're black or brown, your ability to learn to swim or take part in competitive swimming will be dictated by them. Now, ladies, I'm wondering if you could give your opinion on not only the ban that FINA put on Soul Cap, but also how this may impact young Black women in particular from learning to swim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we heard about the ban, it was very upsetting to us since the Soul Cap is something that doesn't harm anyone or give any advantage. So the ban was completely unnecessary. Um, and it was very ignorant on FINA's part, we felt. Um, not recognizing the need for the cap was um, just another representation of how um, isolated Black women are in swimming. Um, and actually the cap was a great example of equity and ways to close that barrier, but banning it was taking some steps back. Um, so definitely it restricts the ability for Black women to learn how to swim because it's just adding to the list of barriers that's keeping us out of the pool. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people fail to realize is that for Black women, their hair isn't just hair. It's like a part of them. And I remember a couple of years ago, I had very long box braids for a couple of months. And during one of my routines, my cap fell off because my hair didn't fit properly into my cap. And I'm sure having the sole cap would have been very helpful for me um, during that time. But I'm sure it's the same struggle for uh, Black swimmers who have protective styles that just don't fit into the standard cap. So to ban them is to place yet another barrier in the, in the path of Black swimmers. And I think the band sends a message that your hair has to be a certain way for you to be successful in swimming, which may discourage black and brown people from either even considering joining swimming in the first place. I appreciate that answer. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very discouraging for me to hear these kinds of remarks from people who are not culturally sensitive to what's going on. And this, once again, emphasizes the need for more diversity within the sport of swimming, which, of course, as you both know and have experienced, is sorely lacking. Now, last year, I had the privilege of having someone 
who has been a big influence on both of your lives, Ashley Johnson on the show, the head coach of the multi-award winning and nationally ranked Aquacades located in Coral Springs, Florida. She stressed the importance of representation in artistic swimming, because let's face it, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Now, how important do you feel representation in the sport of artistic swimming is, you know, and swimming in general, because oftentimes when you're looking up on the deck, you're not going to see someone who looks like uh, Coach Ashley Johnson. You're going to see someone who looks like, I don't know, Eddie Reese or somebody of that nature. So how important is that representation? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, we're both huge fans of Ashley. And yes, diversity, um, just representation in swimming is incredibly important. I was lucky to be able to start Synchro at a young age in a very diverse area. So um, I never really saw that or had to deal with that at a young age. But I think that if I was older and thinking about join, joining Synchro, not seeing anyone like me, I would have um, maybe thought that the sport wasn't for me. And it is it is daunting to be the only one like you in a group. So I think that even just seeing someone like you can make a huge difference. And it, it can even help you see that that could be you someday and that your dream isn't out of reach. Yeah. And like you said, Ashley has been a huge impact on our lives. She's a great role model and she encourages us to um, emphasize our blackness on the pool deck. And she's a big reason why we feel comfortable being black swimmers in this sport. So that's just a very tangible example why representation is important. Um, we see Ashley and we feel more comfortable. Um, so that could be the same for other young black women and black boys that are trying to join artistic swimming. If they see someone like them, they'd feel more comfortable um, joining swimming in general. Um, there's a lot of stigma around swimming for black people because a lot of people think, oh, black people can't swim. But if they saw more people like them on the pool deck, it would definitely help them feel more comfortable in joining the sport. On Memorial Day of 2020, the world watched as a Minnesota policeman proceeded to lynch a black man, George Floyd. Protests sprang up not only all over the country, but around the world. The slogan Black Lives Matter was seen in storefronts, places of worship, and at sporting venues. Now, I remember a white friend telling me how excited she was that people were finally taking a stand and speaking out against racism. I, however, was very cautious. In fact, I replied, you want to know what I and other black people call the lynching of George Floyd. And she asked, no, what? And I said, we call it a Monday. The reason why I was so cold was to let her know that this murder was not new to our community. It's been going on since 1619 when we first stepped foot on this, on this continent. And to be honest, if it weren't for a global pandemic and many people having to shelter in place, I doubt that Big Floyd's death would have registered with many white folks at all. Now, since that time, the NFL, the NBA, NHL, NASCAR, and even USA Swimming have used the phrase Black Lives Matter. But do our lives matter? It seems as if everything is going back to pre-pandemic times now. Brianna and Rachel, how do you see us going forward? in the wake of not only Big Floyd's death, but also Ahmed Avery's, Breonna Taylor, Dante Wright, and so many others. If you could tell those in the swim community of your lived experience right now, what would you say? Mm -hmm. um, what the Black Lives Matter movement did was bring a lot of attention to some of the issues that Black people have been facing for generations. But 
like you said, a lot of people treated it like a trend. And now that the hype is over, they're sort of being silent about it again. Um, what I think is important now is to continue that conversation because we did start a lot of good work during that time and it needs, it has a long way to go. So we need to keep working on that. Um, for my life right now as a young black woman, while I do experience a lot of privilege, I do still face microaggressions in my daily life. Um, and that's just something that comes with being a black woman, but if we have more conversations, if we look at how to dismantle the racism and discrimination that's so deeply ingrained into a lot of aspects of our society, that's something that we could work to, um, to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I wanna say that it's incredibly heartbreaking every time I see news of yet another black man, woman, or even child being murdered. And even more sad that their names often get lost in the sea of hashtags of a very long list of people who had the same experience before them. And I think it is important to keep their memories alive and never forgetting their names is important. But I think it ultimately comes down to a complete societal change, like how police are trained and funded needs to be completely restructured in my opinion. And we in, as citizens need to hold politicians and corporations and influencers accountable for problematic actions or performative activism. And I think that everyone could benefit from diversity training or at least take the time to research about Black Lives Matter and how you can support the Black people in your lives. Now, I wanna shift gears here for a minute. You two are not only accomplished artistic swimmers, which everyone will know because I'm going to promote the heck out of what you've done. Um, but also entrepreneurs as well. I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about Black Girls Mean Business. I think this is absolutely tremendous. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Um, Black Girls Mean Business is a virtual summer business program for Black high school girls that I founded last year, and I have Brianna helping me as the assistant director. So the program includes six Zoom workshops complete with business professionals as mentors to help the girls set goals, develop career plans, improve their business skills. And the goal of my program is really to empower Black girls and give them the platform through the skills that they learn and the connections that they'll gain to help them pursue high-level business careers. Um, our summer 2022 program is currently open for registration right now. It's free and it's open to all Black high school girls in the U.S. And to sign up, learn more, or support, you can visit at Black Girls Mean Business Program on Instagram, which is where you have all our information. But basically, I founded this program because I saw that Black women were very underrepresented underrepresented and very discriminated against in the workplace. And I thought that by helping to empower them and educate them and support them in business at a young age, that would help to sort of turn the tide. Thank you so much for that. Um, as I mentioned in my introduction, I failed to get young people's perspective on where we go from here. It seems as if myself and other adults speak about leaving a better world for young people but too often we don't bother asking the young people what sort of world they'd like to live in. I find this particularly true in the sport of swimming. Now, Rachel and Brianna, where would you like to see the sport of swimming at say when you're older or even when you're ancient like me? <laughs> Um, well, the ultimate goal would be that we wouldn't even have to have conversations like this where Black people in aquatics is just so commonplace that no changes need to be fought for. Um, I mean, that might be wishful thinking, but that is the goal. And in general, just seeing more people like me in aquatics would be amazing. 
Yeah, I definitely like to see artistic swimming and swimming in general be more diverse so that every little kid can look at the sport and see someone that looks like them succeeding in the pool. Um, I'd love for black and brown swimmers to be something that is just normalized, like Brianna said, and not even just for race. I'd love to see swimming be more inclusive for all body types and backgrounds in general. And any final thoughts before we wrap up this marvelous interview that I've been looking forward to for nearly a year now? Well, I just wanted to say thank you again for having us on and say that swimming is for everyone. Yeah, and I think these conversations are very important for our community and for the world to hear. Um, we're definitely taking steps in the right direction and there's a lot of work to be done, but I think um, swimming and artistic swimming will be a more welcoming sport for, um, for all Americans, for all people, black and brown people and yeah, I think this conversation is definitely very, very important. So thank you so much for having us. And we are gonna have to leave it there. Our guests today have been Rachel and Brianna Holmes, twin sisters who are on the Santa Clara Aquamaids, an artistic elite artistic swim club with a reputation of, for producing world-class artistic swimmers and Olympic athletes since 1964. By the way, that was the year I was born. That's how old I am. In 2021, the sisters traveled to the Junior Olympic Championships to compete and won gold in every event they entered. They are also entrepreneurs with Black Girls Mean Business, which we will highlight in our show notes. And in addition, they are featured in the pool exhibit residing at the Fairmount Waterworks in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Brianna and Rachel Holmes, we wish you and your family health and safety during these challenging times in our country. And thank you for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you so much. Over the last three years, Crossing the Lane Lines have promoted and defended Olympic gold medalist Simone Manuel. We have admired her drive, her commitment to being the best she can be under incredible pressure, and her willingness to call out racism in the sport of swimming. And although we're honored to continue being a voice for this amazing young woman. Nothing could be better than to hear her speak for herself. Here now is Simone Manuel. Hey mom, where are all the people who look like me? I was 12 years old and for the first time in my young life, I had begun to realize I was different. I advanced quickly as a swimmer, so I was placed in training groups with kids much older than me. The more I excelled, the more I noticed a pattern developing in my interactions with others. At a time when I should have felt excited about my progress in the pool, I was instead weighed down by doubt. Today, I can say I'm an Olympic champion, the first black woman to win an individual gold medal in swimming. But my success at the 2016 Rio Games, where I earned two golds and two silvers, never would have happened if I had listened to that nagging voice in my head when I was 12, the one that told me I should give up swimming. I was a tall black girl with muscles, an athletic build. You must play basketball, people would say. Or, I bet you run track, right? Wow, you're a swimmer? Really? Why do you like it so much? These questions were constant, dominating conversations about me and eroding my confidence. It's unsettling when you're always having to defend what you love. 
It's hard to feel different as a kid, like you're the only one, as I often was when it came to swimming. It's especially hard when you know exactly why people are asking these questions. Why they seem so surprised in the first place. Because of stereotypes rooted in racism, ignorance, and the refusal to acknowledge social barriers. Maybe I couldn't express it like that at age 12, but I understood it in my gut. You learn these lessons early. I'll never forget the time when I was six and a little boy told me he didn't want to play with me after swim practice because I'm black. Thankfully, my parents never doubted me. And that fateful day when I asked my mother for help in making sense of it all, she sat with me as we scrolled through the internet, reading profiles of high achieving black swimmers. They had succeeded despite incredible odds, often in the face of overt discrimination. Their triumphs inspired me. When I felt like quitting, I thought about Cullen Jones, Tanika Jamison, Sabir Muhammad, and Maritza Karaya, who is now a good friend of mine. Their stories taught me that my own success was bigger than me, that my dreams should never be limited by the assumptions of others. I was here to carve my own path, to widen the lane for others. I am not here to apologize for my ambition. During and after the Rio games, there were moments when my resolve was tested, when the doubts crept in again. Winning on the sport's biggest stage has a way of eliciting strong reactions from the public, good and bad. On social media, people applauded my job in history. They also talked about my hair, a lot. They called me the black swimmer, while commenting on my body in ways that felt minimizing to the effort, dedication, and sacrifices it took for me to even arrive on that stage. I had to summon the strength I borrowed from those who came before me. I thought about Serena Williams and the ferocity she brings to being a champion, the empowering confidence she has in herself. People don't always like different, and it often scares them the most when it's wrapped in excellence. Sometimes I feel like I am alone on an island. Reporters ask me questions that other swimmers, white swimmers, are never asked. They want me to talk about social justice issues, Colin Kaepernick, athlete protest. I want to contribute to the conversation and lead, but I am not the voice of black America. And when people single me out like that, they're reducing me to a label, the black swimmer, when I know I am so much more. There's a part of me that feels like I was born to do this, to live a unique and audacious life. Aren't we all? but there is no limit on black excellence. There were others before me, elite American swimmers who happen to be black, and I can promise you there are more to come, hopefully many more. Representation matters. People, especially kids, need to see it to believe it can be done. If I could go back in time, I would encourage 12-year-old Simone to embrace the boldest part of herself, the desire and confidence it took to get in the water and stay in, because it felt like home. I would tell her to honor her passion, letting it fuel her journey while inspiring others. Celebrate what you love. It may be the thing that makes you different, but sometimes those dreams are the very best kind.
with love, Simone. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines, signing off.